Hi there, I'm Travis, and this is Why Is That, the podcast. Well, I'll have to take a mulligan on this one. Please, Nikki, get back up there. Welcome back to Why Is That. Back when I was in university, I worked at a golf course on the grounds crew. It was a pretty fun job as you got to be outside on a beautiful piece of property all day. And even though the grass grew back quickly, it was pretty satisfying to be able to physically see the outcome of your work every day. Plus, they gave us free lunch four times a week, and that was awesome, especially the days that they had chocolate cake. One day, as I was heading out to my car after work, my coworker asked me if I knew where the name Golf came from, with a knowing smile on his face. I had no idea, and I had never really thought about it before. My coworker chuckled and said, Gentlemen only, ladies forbidden. I kind of just nodded in reply, not sure if it was a fact or a joke or what. I figured it was probably a joke considering that one of the most famous early players and patrons of the game was Mary Queen of Scots. After all, she famously played golf mere days after her husband had died in 1567, which apparently indicated a poor and or suspicious character. As it turns out, gentlemen only, ladies forbidden, is such a popular joke that some believe it to be the actual origin of the sport's name. Acronym explanations of words are super popular false etymologies. They are so popular, in fact, that they have their own category within false etymology known as backronyms. Backronyms are acronyms invented to fit an existing word for either humorous intent or to make the word more memorable. There are very few words in the English language that originated from acronyms, This is because acronyms were incredibly uncommon prior to the 1930s, and pretty much anyone who tells you a word is an acronym is either mistaken or making a joke. The exact origin of the word golf is disputed, but the most likely explanation for our modern English word golf is that it came from the Middle Scottish word golf, spelled G-O-U-F, which originated from the Middle Dutch word golf, meaning stick, club, or bat. As a result, the sport is likely simply named after the clubs used to play the sport. The modern game of golf originated in Scotland in the 15th century. It has several potential more ancient precursors like Paganica, which was a game played during the Roman Republic, the Chinese game of Shuan that was played in the 8th century, the Persian game of Chokan, the English game of Kambuka, and the French game of Chambeau. One origin story of the game is that Scottish merchants were introduced to the Dutch game of Colvin. Colvin, also known as Colf, began play in the 1200s and involved four players hitting a ball with clubs, with the winner being the first player to reach their opponent's starting point. The merchants brought the game back to Scotland and adapted it to local conditions. Thus, like the sport of golf, the game is called golf. It is unknown exactly when this happened, but the game was definitely played by 1457 when it was banned by King James II. A few weeks back, I played golf for the first time in roughly five years. I enjoy the game, but I am not very good at it. As a result, I end up having a lot of terrible shots throughout any round that I do play. As we all learned in the now classic golf romp, Happy Gilmore, in golf you hit the ball as it lies. No redos, no preferential drops, and no waiting for hazards to clear in front of you. However, in some friendly rounds or fundraising tournaments like the one I participated in, the tournament organizers allow for redo shots that are known as mulligans. As I whacked away at one of my two allowed mulligans in an attempt to fix my approach shot, I got to wondering, why do we call it a mulligan? Unfortunately, there is not 
one single fully accepted explanation for where the mulligan rule originated and why it is called mulligan. We will explore each of them and together decide which one is the truth once and for all. Mulligan originated as a Gaelic surname. In Old Irish, the name would have meant something akin to the little bald or shaven one, likely as a reference to a monk or disciple and referring to their tonsure. The name Mulligan made the leap into American popular culture in the 19th century in the infancy of musical comedies and the early days of Broadway theater in New York. If we take a quick detour from the Mulligan into theatrical history, we would find that music and theater have long shared the stage. For instance, the ancient Greek dramatists Aeschylus and Sophocles were known to have composed their own music to accompany their plays and created choreography for the chorus to perform during the performances. Music would even be played during dramatic stage performances without singing and dancing in a similar way to a score in a movie that helps heighten the tension. The opera Daphne by Jacopo Peri is generally considered to be the earliest opera composition as we would understand opera today. The composition was inspired within a group of Florentine humanists and was an attempt to revive the classical Greek drama style. It was completed in 1597. Unfortunately, most of the music has been lost, but it was popular enough that it caught the attention of the Medicis. They subsequently commissioned Perry to compose a second opera, Eurydice, to be premiered in 1600 at the wedding of Henry IV of France and Maria de Medici. Eurydice is considered to be the second modern opera composition and is the oldest to survive intact to the present day. It is not typically performed any longer, but it established sound principles for operatic composition and others have been creating and performing operas ever since. At the same time in England, William Shakespeare was active in revolutionizing the non-musical theatrical performance. Most of his best-known works were completed between 1589 and 1613. While there were exceptions, most theatrical performances in colonial America were Shakespeare or operas. Theater was not popular and at certain points banned in the Puritan New England colonies, but in New York specifically, the first large and permanent theater was built in 1750. It was called the Theater on Nassau Street, and it held 280 people. Theater grew slowly over the next 20 years before it was put on hold until after the Revolutionary War due to a ban on theater performances by the Continental Congress in 1774. Even after the war's conclusion, many Americans still shunned the theater due to its association with the British. It slowly came back into society in the late 1780s and 1790s. Instead of just relying on operas and Shakespeare, there was suddenly a demand for fully American productions. The Park Theater opened with a performance by the Old American Company of Actors in January 1798, though at the time it was known as the New Theater and was an impressive 2,000-seat venue. Despite its virtual monopoly, the theater struggled mightily financially for its first decade. Slowly but surely, theater grew more accepted as a form of respectable entertainment and popularity of the theater similarly grew. With that popularity came distinctly American forms of theater. By the late 1830s, the most popular American styles of theater were blackface minstrel shows and Bowery-style melodramas. In the post-Civil War era, composers started to play with the form, and it was then where the musical comedy was born. The first show to actually call itself a musical comedy premiered in 1866 and was called The Black Domino and Between You, Me, and the Post. In the 1870s, comedians Edward Harrigan and Tony Hart had their breakthrough hit with a lampoon of an Irish neighborhood militia with a song and sketch called The Mulligan Guard. 
1873 hit spawned the 1878 musical comedy, The Mulligan Guard Picnic, and led to the comedians producing multiple Mulligan shows through 1885. One fan of Harrigan and Hart's series of Mulligan shows said that, America had produced nothing more national, more distinctly its own, than these plays of the Irish in New York. One thing that set them apart was that the producers actually hired professional and high-quality singers instead of women with questionable reputations that had preceded them. These Mulligan Guard shows brought the name Mulligan into popular culture, and the Irish subjects of the show made it seem to be the quintessential Irish name. It is here where lies our first explanation of the Mulligan shot. In the later 19th and early 20th centuries, anti-Irish sentiment was on the rise as Irish immigrants flocked to America in droves during and after the Irish famine. This sentiment was built by Old World bias, where, dating back to the 1100s, the Irish were referred to as rude and barbarous by Pope Adrian, general anti-immigrant and ethnocentric bias, anti-Catholic bias, and racism in general. It was in this atmosphere that Irish Americans started to join country clubs and learn how to golf. As these dirty Irish golfers were regarded as bad at golf, the more well-to-do golfers would laugh and jeer at the Irish golfers, and their constant need for redo shots. Due to the association of Mulligan and the Irish, it naturally made sense to name the redo shots Mulligans as an extra dig at the Irish. It seems a little flimsy and there is little hard evidence for this, beyond that it provides a similar story as the commonly given etymology for how hobo stew came to be known as Mulligan stew. Given the darker history of this explanation, it is typically not repeated by those who admire golf and want to think that the favorite term for a correction shot has a cleaner history. The next explanation relates to the word mole. Today we typically think of the word mole as it relates to thinking, I'll mole it over, or when you mole as into grind powder. However, an earlier definition of the word in athletics meant something akin to botch or muff. In modern golf, we still use the term muff to describe a particularly bad tee shot, such as he muffed it. It is unlikely, but this usage could have given rise to someone mulling a shot and then saying, I'll take a mull again. Then after the word mull fell out of use, the term remained and turned from mull again to mull again. Similarly, the Irish Time reports that prior to the innovation of wooden tees, golfers used hills of dirt or grass called moles. If they were to retake such a shot, then they would have a mole again. Like I said, these two explanations are unlikely, and most discussions about the origin of the term mulligan do not even mention them. But there they are. If we take a trip off the links and into the tavern, we will find that a once popular seasoning sauce bore the brand name Mulligans. This sauce was a potent seasoning of water and hot pepper seeds. It was commonly found in bar rooms and could be added to beer to give your drink an extra kick. This sauce could be added for free, similar to olives or cherries today, and therefore was thought of as a freebie. As a correction shot gives you a free extra shot, or a freebie, it is thought that people named the shot after the sauce. Similarly, the Dictionary of Word and Phrase Origins reports that some saloons used to keep a free bottle of alcohol on the bar for customers to occasionally dip into, and this free bottle was known as a mulligan. Just as before, the freebie mulligan in the bar turned into a freebie mulligan on the golf course. I'm slightly more skeptical of this story as, I mean, I have heard of a bar offering free popcorn, but never free alcohol. Sign me up.
And now we get to enter the land of myth, but not the land of ancient myth. Rather, early 20th century baseball mythology about the greatest slugger you have probably never heard of, Swat Mulligan. Swat Mulligan was a legendary baseball player for the Poison Oaks of the Willow Swamp League. He was created by sports writer Bozeman Bulger, who was a major figure in early American sports writing. Swat was kind of the baseball version of the folk hero lumberjack Paul Bunyan. Swat Mulligan became legendary as his exploits were published in newspapers across the nation after starting in the New York Evening World around 1908. Swat grew so popular that Bulger created a stage play about his life and doll-slash-action figures that You Can't Break were advertised in newspapers for 98 cents in 1911. Swat Mulligan became so popular that he started to be compared to real-life players. Babe Ruth, the real home-run king of the early 20th century, was sometimes referred to as the real-life Swat Mulligan, and the practice of referring to a team's best home-run hitter as the team's Swat Mulligan did happen from time to time. The term even found its way into golf, such as in a 1919 edition of the Evening World, where local player Dave Heron was referred to as a real Swat Mulligan of the Lynx. It was in the sense of a hard, full swing that the term mulligan found its way into the official rules of the game cricket, at least according to a 1919 edition of the Colorado Springs Gazette. It read as follows. If it is a bad ball off the wicket, he may take a mulligan at it and knock it over the fence, out of bounds, they call it. It therefore can be theorized that this mulligan swing, meaning to take a hard, full swing, derives its meaning from swat mulligan. Our golf mulligan is a second chance swing, and you could make the leap to say that this hard full swing is a precursor to our golf mulligan. In a way, it does make sense that if you had a terrible first shot, you did not have a hard full swing, and therefore would need a second chance at the mulligan swing. If this were the case, it would make sense that the exact time where the term jump happened would be a little murky and difficult to trace. Our final two explanations are the two that are most widely accepted as the most likely origin of the term. Both of them claim eponymous word origins, the first for David Mulligan and the second for John Buddy Mulligan. The story for David is the one most often claimed by golfing organizations today, including the USGA Museum, and as a result will be the first one we explore. The Canadian golfer David Mulligan was known to routinely play golf at the St. Lambert Country Club near Montreal, Quebec in the 1920s. It was on that course that the Mulligan was born. Years later, in 1952, David Mulligan gave an interview to the Sudbury Star where he tells the story of that fateful day in his own words. One day, while playing in my usual foursome, I hit a ball off the first tee that was long enough, but not straight. I was so provoked with myself that on impulse I stooped over and put another ball down. The other three looked at me with considerable puzzlement, and one of them asked, What are you doing? I'm taking a correction shot, I replied. What do you call that? the partner inquired. Thinking fast, I told him that I called it a mulligan. After that, it became kind of an unwritten rule in our foursome that you could take an extra free shot on the first tee if you weren't satisfied with the original. Naturally, this was always referred to as taking a mulligan. A point in David's favor is that when he died two years later in 1954, his obituary read, David B. Mulligan, 83, Dean of Hotel Men and veteran golfer credited with originating the extra tee shot term of taking a mulligan, 
died here today after a long illness. A point against him is that there are actually three versions of how he created the Mulligan, which creates some doubt about the authenticity. Story 2 goes that David Mulligan was the only one of his regular foursome who owned a car. As a result, each week he would pick up the other three and make their way to their course. Roads in the 1920s were often not in the best of shape and not built for cars. The road that the four took to the club was known to be especially bumpy due to railroad ties and often very windy. Upon arrival at the course, the four would quickly change their shoes and hustle to the first tee. After a harrowing journey, Mulligan was often nervous, jumpy, and shaky, which naturally made it difficult to hit a good first shot. As his golfing buddies were thankful he would drive them each week, they allowed him a redo on the first tee shot as a special sympathy for his nerves and an appreciation of his efforts to get the four of them to the course safely and in a timely manner. Initially, they just referred to it as a correction shot, but as David was the only one allowed to take a correction shot, they naturally started referring to the reshot on the first hole as a mulligan shot. Story 3 is kind of a combination of stories 1 and 2. Like story 1, it identifies a specific day. This day is one where David Mulligan woke up late, jumped out of bed, hurriedly got dressed, and raced to get to the golf course on time. As he ran up to the first tee, he realized he was barely there on time for his scheduled tee time. Naturally frazzled from the rushed morning, he had a very poor shot. He immediately stooped down, re-teed, and hit a new shot. His friends laughed as he explained it was just a correction shot. The friends ribbed him for the correction shot all round and started referring to it as the mulligan. From there, the name stuck. The multiple stories could be explained away by hazy memories of four friends recounting a 30-year-old story that had only become important in hindsight. Supporting that theory is the research that has shown that eyewitness testimony can actually be quite unreliable. A recent study showed that 52% of wrongful convictions that had been overturned by DNA evidence resulted from eyewitness mistakes. As a result, we can see that all three of these stories resemble each other and that it could be a simple mistake that led to the multiple stories. The other widely reported eponym is John A. Buddy Mulligan. Buddy worked as a locker room attendant at the Essex Fells Country Club in New Jersey in the 1930s. After he finished up his shift, he would often go for a round of golf on the course. He would meet up with friends who had usually already played around or at least had hit some balls at the driving range. Buddy would complain that it was not fair that his friends were all warmed up and ready to play, while he was starting the day cold. In compensation, he would ask for the right to replay his first shot of the day when it went short or sliced into the woods. Buddy was popular enough at the club, thanks to his role as locker room attendant, that the story of his many replay shots spread throughout the club. People took to calling the shots mulligans in honor of Buddy. The problem with Buddy's story is that his claim has him coining the term in the mid-1930s, and the Detroit Free Press has the first known mention of a mulligan in 1931. It reads as follows. All were waiting to see what Bird would do on the 290-yard 18th, with a creek in front of the well-elevated green. His first drive barely missed carrying the creek, and he was given a mulligan just for fun. The second not only was over the creek on the fly, but was within a few inches of the elevated green. That's some poke. This would throw Buddy's story out, but could potentially line up with David's story of originating the term in the 1920s. Alternatively, this story in the free press could actually be the origin of the term. As this is the earliest mention found in print of the term, it is unknown how widespread the term was prior. 
it is possible that this printed version actually came from a misunderstanding. As we know, an earlier definition of mulligan was to take a full hard swing. It is possible that the sports writer heard someone call up to Bird to take a mulligan, meaning a full hard swing to get it across the creek on a second try. But the sports writer misunderstood and thought the person was referring to the redo shot as a mulligan. The simple misunderstanding could have spawned one of the most well-known golf terms of today. If the 1931 timeline helps David's story, then an article a decade later hurts his claim. By 1941, David Mulligan had moved on to a new main golf course, namely the Winged Foot Golf Club in Mamaronek, New York. At the new course, David arranged for a tournament called the First Annual Mulligan Tournament. It was a tournament that allowed its players the opportunity to take mulligan shots to replay their bad tee shots. At first glance, this would seem to be a point in David's favor, as it would mean that not only had he recognized the term as mulligan by 1941, but he was actively spreading the name of the shot through the larger golfing community. However, the issue arises in the fact that the Ottawa Journal reported on the first annual mulligan tournament in October 1941. In the article, it specifically mentions that David was the creator and originator of the new type of tournament, but that the origin of the mulligan shot is unknown. Presumably, if David had created the mulligan shot, then the newspaper would not have gone on to specifically state that we do not know the original relationship between the name and golf. Unfortunately, the Ottawa Journal sports writer had not adequately fact-checked this claim that David had originated the mulligan tournament. The April 1921 edition of Golfer's Magazine advertises a kicker's tournament that allows players the opportunity to have one reshot per hole. We find another kicker's tournament advertised in the 1932 Golf Professionals Handbook of Business, and in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania in 1925, they were called practice shot tournaments. If we restrict our search to specifically a mulligan tournament with reshots allowed, then we still have tournaments that predates David's 1941 tournament, including the ones advertised in the Detroit Free Press in 1934 and 1935 called the Mulligan Handicap Tournament, then in 1939, the Akron Beacon Journal in somewhat nearby Akron, Ohio, posted the results of the Mulligan Tournament held at Barberton, Brookside. All of that could still fit with David Mulligan's story that had originated in the 1920s in Montreal, but it does make you wonder why a report on his own tournament would specifically say we do not know where the term originated. It also makes one wonder why the first few surviving references are all found in the Detroit Free Press in regard to area events, with the earliest mention being in 1931 and the two subsequent mentions of the Mulligan tournaments in 1934 and 1935. This could point to an unknown Detroit area origination of the term. In the end, those are all of the most prominent explanations on the origin of golf's Mulligan shot. Was the name inspired by a derogatory way of describing the golfing habits of early Irish American golfers? Was it a combination of the word mull and again? Did it come from bar freebies? Was it a natural progression of the hard full swing of a swat mulligan into the redo mulligan shot? Did it arise from a sports writer's misunderstanding the full mulligan shot to be a redo shot at a 1931 tournament? Was it named after David or Buddy Mulligan? Did some unknown person from Detroit coin the term? Or has the origin of golf's favorite shot been lost to the sand trap of history? What do you think? Let me know on Twitter, in a show review, in the comment section of the website, or by email. Links to all of those in the episode description. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Why Is That? 
I know it has been a while since our last episode, but more are coming, so be sure to follow the show on Acast, Podcast Republic, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you are listening right now. As always, thank you for listening to Why Is That? Until next time, cheers.